Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. How are we doing? Doing good? All right. Well, we're going to worship at the end of the day. I'm very excited about that. But I brought something with us that is something that I think uh, brings a smile to the face of most children. Um, all of my kids at some point in their life have had a McDonald's phase. And when you go to McDonald's, there's only one thing you want when you're in that phase as a child, and it is a Happy Meal, right? And uh, there's something about that's pretty ingenious about this, these little boxes that are filled with uh, what some would say is called food and a, uh, a small toy, right? Um, it's ingenious because here's the thing about the Happy Meal is that it doesn't actually um, work for very long. I've never had my child come to me and say, Father, um, remember that day you bought me that Happy Meal? I, I've never been the same since because now I have this, this, this full, fulfilled contentment in my life. Thank you for that day. No, what they always want is they want another Happy Meal, right? Like, and so there's this ingenious idea that these things don't actually uh, work all that well because the only one truly getting happy is Ronald McDonald, right? I mean, that's why he has that, that's why he has that silly little grin on his face all the time and uh, he's got... He's got Millions of Happy Meal addicts, and he's their dealer. Um, that's kind of the way this works. But uh, today, <laughs> here's the thing. There's, nobody, there's no one but a small child, right, would believe. There's no one but a small child that would believe um, an external acquisition would provide any sort of lasting happiness. No one but a small child would be that silly to believe that. Uh, but the truth about human beings is, of course, as we grow older, our Happy Meals just become more expensive, don't they? Um, and and, and we, we've all fallen victim to this thing to where uh, there's some sort of external acquisition or circumstance that could perhaps be our Happy Meal. And so the truth about us is that a lot of us, uh, what the world is teaching us, is that we need to keep going back for our Happy Meal fix. And so today we are starting a new series of teachings called Joy. And uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited about talking about this topic. To be honest, God has been moving in my life around the subject of joy for the past year or so. Uh, because I, I, I don't know about you, but I want to I live and I want to operate uh, my life out of this deep well of joy that I live in. That I would have the ability to experience um, uh, you know, the joy that the Lord has for each and every one of us. But here's the truth about the subject of joy. Is joy is sort of a difficult thing to understand. Um, it's something that we sort of all get, and it has this kind of myriad of, of, of different ways that we express joy, whether through happiness or, or contentment or satisfaction, and we'll get into all those things. But joy is something that I believe um, is a natural place that the Lord wants us to be. You know, for example, it, it takes 77 muscles in your face to frown, but it only takes 14 muscles to smile. So right now, let's just practice this. Everybody give it a big old smile, big old smile. Look at the person next to you with that cheesy grin, Yes. See how easy it is. It's almost as if we were created, almost as if we were created to smile, to laugh, and to experience joy. Um, it said, there's, you know, there's studies that say that in children, uh, healthy children laugh 300 times a day. But those of us that are dusty old adults, we only laugh five, we only laugh five times a day. What is, what is happening to us? You know what I mean? Um, uh, we live in a day and age where antidepressants are being used at almost an epidemic level. And I, by the way, I believe that depression is one of those illnesses that should be treated, and I have no issues with um, using antidepressants in any way at all. But I think just the, 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 the pure 
number of people that are experiencing depression in this day and age uh, is not something that should be ignored. And this is happening in part because we live in a time, don't we, in which there's vast uncertainty, there's fear, there's anger. I read the other day that a Harvard University's, that Harvard University's most popular class that has ever been offered was a class that was simply about the subject, how to be happy. And this is in, of course, uh, an environment at Harvard that's very competitive and high levels of stress, and they have high levels of depression. And so it's no sense of reason why this class was so popular. But this is a subject that applies to all of us. And so to begin, I just want to kind of create some, some premises, some clear, clear, uh, clear kind of understandings. There is a difference between happiness and joy, and I think we would all kind of know that. They often go together. But they, but they are different. Happiness is, of course, associated with uh, temporary, circumstantial sort of reasons. Uh, this is sort of the happy meal experience, right? We feel happy often when our circumstances are good or fun or healthy. For example, if something good happens to you, you might feel happy. When a child gets a new toy, they're going to feel happy. If you get an unexpected pay raise, you're going to feel happy, right? If, if your family has a great day together out the park on a beautiful day, you're probably going to feel happy if you put a doorway in between your church and the tower theater, you're going to be happy. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, the, but however, you do not feel happy when the circumstances and challenges come in life. You know, your kid's new toy breaks, they are not happy. You lose a job, you're not happy. Your family experiences an unexpected loss, you're not happy. Your marriage hits a wall, and it's a struggle, you're not happy. But the idea of joy is different. You see, biblically speaking, it is possible to be filled with joy in the midst of extreme challenges and circumstances. You know, next week we're going to talk a little bit about the famous uh, line in James chapter 1 when he says, he says, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you endure through trials of many kinds, which for a lot of us that verse is, it, it, yeah, we get it, we, we sort of get it, but it's also like, how, how does that happen? How do we experience joy in the midst of our trials? Uh, we'll get into that. But the basic premise that we must understand happiness is a little bit more of an emotion, and that can vary based upon the circumstances we're in. This is very important to realize because joy is something different than that. Joy is more of a mindset. It's something that we can possess even when we don't feel happy. Uh, you can relate this to something like wisdom. How many of you guys know you can possess wisdom but not act out of wisdom, <laughs> right? We can have wisdom, yet we can make choices that are unwise. We can take bad advice. We can do foolish things, yet we still have the wisdom and we have the ability to act and be wise. And joy is the same way. Joy is one of those things that we can possess. We can possess joy, but we cannot operate out of joy. It's something that there is competing mindsets with joy. Joy is a mindset. There's competing mindsets to, um, to joy. Some of us know all about it, whether it be anxiety or stress or depression, as we've talked about. Those are the competing mindsets to joy. So we can actually possess joy but not operate out of joy. But sp today, these are all conversations I want to get into. But today, I specifically want to kind of enter into this idea. I want to explore joy in our secular culture. I feel like that's a good place to begin. Um, secular culture. Stay with me here for just a minute. We're going to kind of put on our brains for a minute. Like Secular culture has reoriented one's expectations of life and 
we're taught will bring us happiness and essentially joy. So what we need to do is we need to, we need to contrast the prevailing ways of culture and contrast it to the biblical mindset of what joy is and how do we have a deep-seated, lasting joy found in the presence of God. We need to be able to differentiate and we need to be able to understand what we're up against in this world. Secular culture, especially, especially our American culture, has embedded expectations that are really at the foundations of the American dream. You guys know that at the foundations of the American dream is this freedom for us to pursue happiness, right? Secular culture has this kind of embedded into it, and it's found even all the way back in the, of course, the Declaration of Independence. And I'll just read this to you because I'm going to read the entire Declaration. No, I'm just going to read this little piece <laughs> of the Declaration of Independence. Or This is the, one of the best parts of it, right? It says, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So this is a powerful sentiment for a government to be able to pass on to its citizens. The hope for happiness is a basic desire in humanity, and it always has been. But I would say culture uses the word happiness and doesn't use the word joy a lot. But really what the Declaration of Independence is and what most people are saying when they pursue happiness is something way deeper than just some circumstantial uh, kind of momentary temporal emotion of, of happiness, aren't they? They're talking about something deeper. Some, they do want this deeper experience of this uh, this underlying satisfaction and contentment of a life well lived. That's what America's about, right? Better than happiness, a state of mind, joy. This is what secular culture says we should all have the right to pursue. Would you agree? Secular culture in America has created all sorts of unspoken rules to achieve happiness and joy. And most of us are actually pretty aware of these unspoken rules. There's no list anywhere that says this is what you need to do to be happy, although some people have made lists. Most of us, though, have just sort of grown up understanding what the world teaches, and especially our culture teaches, of what will make us happy, but not just a temporal happiness, not just a momentary happiness, but one of a life well-lived, a deep underlying satisfaction to life. It's, and so these unspoken rules sort of become a check list of things that we must accomplish in life if we want to be satisfied. And so I just want to kind of show you what I think is the checklist in most people's lives. The first one is this. I'll just put these on the screen. The first one is an education. I think every one of us, it's a little different, but the belief that we need to have some sort of education, you got to check that box to really be satisfied in life. For some of us, it's high school education. Some of us, a lot of us, it's college. Some of us, it's, you know, I got to get to you know, my college degree, my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my PhD degree, whatever that educational kind of checkbox is for you, you got to check it because until then there's going to be a little bit of um, un unsatisfied kind of experience. This is at least for most people. This, this, this list isn't, isn't universal, but this is a prevailing way in our culture. Are you with me? So the second one is this, that we got to have the perfect job. Right? we got to check that box somehow. The, 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 then, of course, when the world tells us this, it's not just a job. It's the perfect job, meaning it can't be an okay job or a boring job or a job that doesn't pay you enough. 
Uh, it has to be a job that aligns with your passions, financial expectations, and time restrictions because none of us want to work all the time, right? And so the side note, I do believe in finding work that is meaningful and enjoyable, but I want to emphasize the word perfect in this because many people are unsatisfied in their work. In fact, Forbes magazine reports that over half of the people in our country are unsatisfied in their jobs. Some studies show as high as 70% of people are unsatisfied with their work careers. So to check this box in our world is very difficult. So what happens is we have a job, but there's always another job out there that could be better. And in today's world, the search for a better situation has this keep, we, we accomplish one thing, but it's never quite enough when we keep running after the carrot in front of us of the perfect job. 30% of the workforce in America will change a job every 12 months. This pace of change is increasing. Gen Xers, uh, they changed their career two times in the first 10 years out of college. Millennials are changing it at four times in their first 10 years out of college, and, some, and that's increasing. It's a tough box to check. It's one that we keep trying to get to because if we want to be satisfied and happy in life, we've got to have the perfect job. The next one is marriage. For most Americans, marriage is a desire and a dream. And for good reason. I mean, marriage is created by the Lord, and it's a good thing. But there's, in our culture today, this is becoming a very pressure-packed um, box to check. As people are willing to wait and are waiting longer to get married and cho or choosing not to marry at all, this box is even wavering now if it's on the list for a lot of people in our culture. But by and large, it still resign, remains as one of the key, key boxes to check. And until marriage happens for a lot of people, and maybe you're in this boat, there's an underlying sense of dissatisfaction and a mentality of, of a life that's on pause or on hold until you check this box. So that's the, th that's the third one I'm going to throw out there. And these are, these are, again, these are, this is, a, this is a stereotypical list. For every person, it could be a little different. The fourth one is kids. The next step, I love this one. Because the next step in the unspoken rules of happiness is to have kids. Because when you get married, the, there is a question that begins being asked of you, right? It is the question. Uh, so when are you going to have kids? <laughs> and you're like, uh, I don't know. So you should have kids. Kids are great. You should get a kid. Like, get a kid right now. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'll have a kid. And then you have a kid. And then what's the next question? Are you going to have more kids? You should have more kids. Number two kids are great. Two is better than one. You should get two kids. So you're like, all right, I'll have two kids. You have two kids. And they're like, whoa, wow, you got two kids. Are you going to have three kids? Three kids are great because when you have three kids, what happens is like it feels like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. It's awesome. <laughs> so you're like, all right, I'll have three kids. And you have three kids. And they're like, whoa, you have a lot of kids. <laughs> you can't possibly have more kids. That would be crazy. And you're like, well, I had a fourth kid. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with you? You have a lot of kids. Do you really like kids? Are you, is this like a religious thing or what? I literally went to the YMCA the other day, um, not to work out, um, <laughs> to, to, watch, to watch my son play basketball. And I walk in, our whole family walks in, my whole family walks in, and this guy is like, hey man, come here. And I'm like, what? He's like, bro, are those all your kids? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, good job, man. I'm like, 
good job. Like, I didn't start a Fortune 500 company. I had four kids. <laughs> so kids, you got to check that box. <laughs> the fifth one is a home. Um, this next box, you got to check. Find that dream home. Build that dream home, right? Clearly, in our American culture, it is fixated on this step of a home in order to achieve satisfaction. Even if there's nothing wrong with having a home, our culture has said, you got to check this box. And then the sixth one I'll put up there is uh, wonderful friends. Um, I put great friends on the list because for many of us, this is a, this is a very uh, definite marker of contentment and satisfaction. Uh, we, have to have, we have to check that box um, or we feel like something is missing. And so secular culture has bred a system of expectations that are unspoken sort of rules of happiness and the checklist of satisfaction. Uh, you must check the boxes in order to have a satisfied life. And if you can't check the boxes, well, life is probably going to be a little unfulfilling, dissatisfying, and essentially not good enough. Now, these five or six boxes may not be your five or six boxes, but there's probably about 10 or so things that kind of get put on everybody's list. For some people, it's money or fame or some sort of achievement. And the world tells us that we have to have these things in order to achieve satisfaction and joy. We have to pursue these things. We have to pursue happiness. And it's achieved through checking the box of these, of these prescribed joy fillers. And this is true. And some of us are like, ah, I don't know if it's true, but it is true. We chase these things. And essentially, secular culture operates out of a mindset of dissatisfaction. Think about this. Be dissatisfied until you accomplish these six things. Once you accomplish these six things, by the way, there'll be six more things. You get a dream home, guess what? Have you seen their dream home? It's a little better. Maybe now you should go get a dream home like that dream home. Oh, you have wonderful friends? That's cool. But what if your friends were cooler? <laughs> keep chasing, keep pursuing more things, more satisfaction. It's an ironic state of, 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 it's a strange reality, really. The culture of pursuing satisfaction actually breeds and produces a mindset of dissatisfaction. When, when we operate at a place where nothing is good enough, and that, what that means is at times our, the things even on this list, our, our, our education or our family or our homes or, or, or whatever we want to put in the box, our marriages, they may not be good enough when all we do is seek more because we live out of a mindset of dissatisfaction. Think about it. Why do people, why do, people do things... Um, Disappointment is at the root of most sin, by the way. Why do people cheat on their spouse? Why do people use drugs and alcohol? Why do people indulge or steal and manipulate? It's because they're seeking some form of pleasure and some form of happiness. So at the root of our dissatisfaction is this never-ending thirst that this world has nothing that can satisfy us. And we've been duped into thinking that a better job or more money, or better marriage, or even a new life is what we need to be happy. How many people have you seen walk that road? And here's the thing about these six things. Uh, not one of them is listed in the Bible as a source of joy. 
It doesn't mean that they aren't good things. It's just not what the Bible teaches will be your source of joy. A few examples. In Luke 9, Jesus talked about having a home. And what did he say? I don't have a home. Yet he walked in the fullness of the joy of the Lord. Paul teaches that even marriage isn't even a source of joy. 1 Corinthians um, 7, he writes that there is good in not marrying and remaining single. Now, there's obviously a lot of good in the Bible about marriage, but there's a piece in here that says there's also good plans for those that don't marry. And even with my kids, I love my kids. There's a lot of joy I get from my kids. But where do children come from? They are a gift from the Lord. It's probably the greatest gift after our salvation, the, the, the gift of life, right, that he gives us through our children. But yet I must delight in the Lord because he is the giver of that great gift. So let me ask you a little bit of a self-assessment with this checklist up here. Is there anything on that list that you've personally found deep dissatisfaction with about your life? And has it caused great disappointment, pain, depression? I think for a lot of us, we'd have to answer yes. There's been a season or there's been a long season or I'm currently in a season right now. That because of one of those things, or maybe my, my own box, checkbox of things, I'm finding this life really hard. And I live with a lot of dis disappointment. So perhaps we can say that our secular culture has misplaced our source of contentment and satisfaction and joy and placed it in the wrong things. The culture of dissatisfaction, it never allows us to experience pure joy. So it's really interesting. We live in a culture that says you have the freedom to pursue happiness for the rest of your life. And so that carrot of dissatisfaction is placed in front of us. And so many of us miss out on joy while we pursue happiness. So I want to I want to I want to turn to the Bible. What is it what does the Bible teach us about living a life of joy? Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. Now, Paul is not saying, hey, just be a happy sort of, you know, one of those weird guys. Everything's like feel good. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I stubbed my toe. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know what I mean? God has a purpose for me stubbing my toe. Here's the deal. We, we, we do not have to rejoice in circumstances. In fact, in a lot of circumstances, there is no, there's no joy, right? We don't have joy in all circumstances. What we have is joy in the Lord. Some circumstances are not worthy of rejoicing, but the Lord is always worthy of rejoicing. The Bible is full of glorious promises. Of, a satis of satisfaction and contentment. So here we are in a culture of dissatisfaction. The biblical narrative actually leads people <clears throat> to cultivate uh, a heart of satisfaction. Isn't that interesting? There's actually satisfaction in the biblical narrative, not one of keep pressing, keep going, people who know how to settle in and be fully satisfied in the Lord. The Bible is full of these glorious promises. Look at this, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You should be completely satisfied. Psalm 107, 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm twenty two twenty six 26 says, The afflicted shall eat and be 
satisfied. But those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as the world and as secular culture generates a dissatisfaction to motivate you to go and check the box of these prescribed joy, joy fillers, faith in Jesus generates the opposite. It invites you to completely satisfying and good relationship that you don't have to achieve, earn, or conquer. Now I want to be clear, not confusing about this, because in the world of Christianity in the world of faith, we use a lot of the pursuing language, don't we? We say things like, oh, we should hunger and thirst for God. How's that different? We should pursue more of God. We need to keep chasing after the mission of God. You see, the difference is in that, that those kind of descriptors are used to describe um, an active, passionate life with God. And the key word there is with God. In our withness, we have complete satisfaction. Here's the deal. I live with my wife, and I love my wife, but I live with her, and I'm completely happy with her. Well, well, well done. I'm so happy with you. I'm, I'm completely satisfied. I'm completely happy, but that does not mean that I don't want to love her more, that I don't want to pursue her more, that I don't want to grow in my relationship with her, but I am completely content in our present tense. Are you with me? That is a life with someone, and a life with God does not mean there's still not hunger and thirst, but it means that as I hunger and thirst, I can be completely satisfied at the same time. Sky Jathani, he wrote a book called With, and believe it or not, we're, we're, we're getting near the end of this um, kind, of, kind of message here, but it says this. He says this, but life with God is different because its goal is not to use God. Its goal is God. He ceases to be a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Life with God means first treasuring him above all else. You know, Matthew 13 verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which, which a man found and covered up. So you can imagine this scene, right? This man finds a treasure hidden in a field, and then he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it's so, it's, it's so important to him. It says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Nothing else compares to this treasure. He sells everything he has, and he buys that field so he can have that treasure. Satisfaction. Our treasure is at the root of our joy. When we treasure Jesus, we find great joy and we live with great joy. You see, what I'm talking about is what is the treasure of your heart? What I'm talking about is what satisfies you. We live in a culture that is about you should be dissatisfied. You should keep going. What if you could get just a little better? What if your job could be just a little better? What if your marriage could just be a little better? What if your education could be a little stronger? What if you could be a little more qualified? Keep going. Pursue that happiness. And here we have a story alive. What it means to be fully human with the Lord is to say, I have all I need in Jesus. I can be fully satisfied. He's the treasure of my heart. In fact, 
Everything else fades in comparison to making Jesus my treasure. You see, the surprising aim of Jesus' teaching and life is found in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, my purpose, this is Jesus speaking, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Jesus wants the joy that he had to fill your hearts. Now, if you don't know much about John 15, he's, he, what is he, when he says this, when he says, the purpose I'm telling you, my purpose for telling you these things, what is he telling us? Well, John 15, the context there is he is talking about this idea of abiding in him. Another, another word for abiding is remaining, meaning just stay right here. <laughs> don't move. <laughs> just remain in me. It's not a life of activity. It's not a life of go do more. It's abiding. Abide in me. I'm telling you these things that if you abide in me, the joy that I have will fill your heart with gladness, overflowing gladness. Now it's important to note that we do have needs in life, don't we? The challenges we face don't go away just because we say, hey, I'm delighting in the Lord. I'm not suggesting no heaviness or no pain will come and we just need to plainly and blindly delight in Jesus. We're obviously not covering the whole Bible today, but the Bible talks a lot about going to the Lord in prayer when you have need. The Bible even talks about lamenting with God in your pain. The Bible talks about that he won't leave you, that when things are tough, he will be right there with you, that you can find your strength and your weakness. There is plenty to talk about that feels like it's the other side of joy. But what he's saying is in all circumstances, you don't have to worry about and elevate the circumstance. You just need to elevate me, remain in me, abide in me. So we aren't covering all that, but this is simply an introduction to what a life with joy looks like. You know, the scriptures, it says that joy is available with no striving, and no carrot of dissatisfaction in front of you to keep going. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28. We've heard this before, but I love this passage. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the invitation of Jesus directs us away from the ways of secular culture. Which, by the way, those ways of secular culture, as much as we love our country, those ways that are apart from the Lord are heavy and they are burdensome. They make people feel weary. And Jesus comes along and says, my burden is light. Come to me. Jesus says, my burden is light. You know, Pete Gregg says, holiness has more in common with happiness than with heaviness. Let's say that again, because it's really good. Holiness has more in common than happiness than with heaviness. It reminds me that the fruit of the spirit is joy, not intensity. <laughs> and in the Christian life, man, there's so many people that are so intense about their faith. And I just don't know if Jesus was all that intense all the time. I think he might have had a little bit of joy coming out of him. And I think for a lot of times the reason that 
our faith is so intense is that so many people are living a life for God. Meaning everything is about working for the Lord. You know what I mean? Or they're living a life under God. It's about living under his instruction and under his law. And few of us are finding our way, our way to live a life with God. In which we can journey with him. And abide and treasure him above all else. So my question today to you is, um, we're going to get into this conversation over the next few weeks about joy, but I think it begins with the simplicity of saying, are you delighting in the Lord? Are you delighting in Jesus? God, again, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is the fullness of joy. I mean, if you need joy, get in his presence. So I want to take us back to Philippians 4, 4, and we'll, we'll sort of end on this, but... It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. My friends, may we rejoice in the Lord. May we make him our treasure. Rejoice in the Lord's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord's love for you. Rejoice in the Lord's grace. Rejoice in the Lord's power. Rejoice in the Lord's healing. Rejoice in the Lord's forgiveness. Rejoice in the Lord's plans for you. Rejoice in the Lord's gift that he gives us and our children. Rejoice in the Lord's presence. Rejoice in the Lord's holiness. Rejoice in the Lord's justice. Rejoice in the Lord's compassion. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice that he has not left you. Rejoice that he says, I will never forsake you. Rejoice that he has given you life. Rejoice that he has sacrificed himself for you. Rejoice that he has a love for you that knows no bounds. You know what I'm saying? Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, for he is good. And his love endures forever. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, rejoicing in the Lord, it's different than a life that is dissatisfied and chasing and pursuing happiness. It's realizing that everything we need has already been given. It's realizing that everything that we will ever want has already been offered. It's really realizing that the fullness of my joy is actually found in the presence of the Lord. That seeking joy and pursuing joy is not something that God ever set out to do. He said, no, 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 come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We make joy really hard because we have grown up in a culture and in a society that has made joy something that can be acquired through some sort of external acquisition, like a Happy Meal. But the problem with the Happy Meal is it always wears off. No one ever comes to someone and says, I remember that day when I acquired that external acquisition and it changed my life. So my friends, may you reconnect yourself with a life with God, abiding in his presence, and if today you know, you have been living under the burden and heaviness of constantly feeling dissatisfied. 
looking for the next boxes to check. My prayer for you today is that you would see that you can rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let's pray together. We're going to worship in just a moment, but before we do that, I just want to give you a chance to just receive and allow the Lord to minister to your own heart in this moment. But I want to encourage you to use um, this time to even say, Lord, I want to rejoice in you. Maybe for some in here that today's touched a part of your life that's real and sensitive, perhaps joy is something you've been struggling to experience. And here I am just saying rejoice, rejoice. And it's not, that's way easier said than done. Uh, I don't believe that sort of the, one of the common statements out there is this, that you choose joy. Sure, there's a choice a little bit in joy, but it's, it's way bigger than that. Joyce is a mindset, it's a journey something that we allow the work of the Lord in our life. And I believe there's all sorts of, if you're dealing with something like depression, there's all sorts of action that you can take to combat that, and I would encourage you to do it. But one of those is certainly prayer and asking for God to heal your heart, to release joy in you. And our, our prayer team is here today for prayers like that. We'd also love to pray with you about whatever you came in here needing today. Maybe you came in having all sorts of needs in your life, healing prayers, provisional prayers, transformational prayers, God just meeting a need that is going on in your life. We're here to pray for that. But perhaps today you didn't realize how this culture of dissatisfaction has really impacted your heart. And so today I would just say, maybe we just pray, we just say, God, I want all of my satisfaction found in you. I want all of my satisfaction found in you, Lord. So Father, we begin with that prayer today. I pray for each and every one of my friends today. I pray for us as just people uh, that are trying to figure life out. I pray that your Holy Spirit, even in this moment, would touch our life in a way that, that Lord, we would, we would see a new perspective. It would shift our mindset. It would open our heart to something new. And I pray that joy would come rushing in I love to know that, Father, the mind and heart that you had when you were here talking with the disciples is that the joy that you've had would be in us with overflowing gladness. And so, Father, I pray that not only this room, but I pray that over the, the, the body of Christ in our city and beyond, that, Father, you would, you would raise up a group of people that know how to rejoice in the Lord. So, Father, I just pray that over this room today. I pray that as we sing today, that even that expression of worship would be a way of rejoicing in you today. Would you let a song come out of us that lifts up praise and rejoicing. So Lord, use this time for response, for prayer, for worship. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.